0: So this morning we're going to be in Acts chapter 3, and we're looking at a familiar story uh, to, to most of us, I think. A few weeks ago we looked at the first sermon given by the church, and this morning we're going to be looking at the first recorded miracle done by the church. This, this particular account starts in uh, chapter 3 and verse 1, and it goes actually all the way into chapter 4 and verse 31. And I know some of you are thinking, oh, no, he's going to try to do it all in one sermon, but I'm not. So you can rest easy. I won't try to tackle it all in one day. Uh, It'll probably cover the next few weeks. Verses 1 through 10 covered the miracle itself, and then the rest of it covers the the aftermath, uh, which includes 5,000 people being saved. um, And it also begins the harsh opposition to the gospel from the religious leaders who begin to arrest and threaten and persecute the apostles for preaching the gospel. And so that's going to be kind of timely in our day and age when, as Christians in our country, we haven't dealt with a lot of persecution, and, and we're starting to kind of see that that change a little bit. So um, that'll be something worthwhile to look at. So I'm going to read the first 10 verses of chapter 3, and then we'll move on from there. Now Peter and John were going up to the temple at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour, Uh, it, it's one that uh, is, is just a remarkable thing. As we, as we see this starting out, as David mentioned a couple weeks back, the apostles made it a habit to go daily into the temple. Um, not because they aligned with Jewish teaching and, and the ceremonies and so forth anymore and the practices, but because it gave them an opportunity to talk to people about Jesus. They were intentionally putting themselves in the paths of people who didn't know him yet and needed to hear the gospel. And this is something that, strangely, is becoming less and less popular in our day-to-day. A Barna study came out recently that kind of just freaked me out. I had to read it twice. Like, did I just read that right? And what it said was that half of practicing Christian millennials say that evangelism or sharing your faith with others is wrong. I want to say that again. Half of practicing millennial Christians say that sharing your faith with others is wrong. You're imposing your beliefs on other people. And that's not okay to do. And, and I'm wondering how they square that with, with the Bible. Because I'm pretty sure the Great Commission involves sharing your faith with others. I'm pretty sure that the means of salvation is the gospel. And if you're not going to share that with people, it's like, what are we doing? So that's kind of scary. A little bit alarming. Um, of course, it stems from this belief that we should never offend anybody. And that tolerance is the greatest virtue of all. That's kind of what we're taught nowadays. And, and I understand, I mean, the gospel message is offensive. You're telling somebody that they are a sinner in need of salvation. That's not a message that is easy to say to somebody. But it's truly the kindest and most loving thing you can do, is share that with, with, with others. So um, if you don't already do it, find ways to interact with people who don't know Christ. Show them kindness. Show them love and respect. And by all means, share the gospel with them, Right? Okay, so they're on their way to the temple at, it says, the ninth hour, which is three in the afternoon, and it's called the hour of prayer. And they see this man being carried and laid at one of the temple gates so that he can receive donations from those entering the temple. The beautiful gate, people try to figure out which one it is, and and nobody knows for sure, and I'm not going to speculate, but apparently it was beautiful. We we can go with that, right? It was amazing to look at. Um, The lame man it says basically had people carry him there every day. We don't know if these were friends or if it was just people that you know he had to pay with part of his his uh, daily earnings or what. But every day they would bring him there and lay him at this gate. Um, and, and the reason for that is that devout Christians or devout excuse me de- devout Jewish people devout followers of God at that time uh, they had three things that they you know had to do: read the Torah, worship in the temple, and give alms to the poor. And so this provided the perfect opportunity for people to do that. It's not you know a whole lot different than what we see. With homeless people standing at busy street corners, you know, knowing that there's going to be a lot of traffic coming by and they've got their sign out and people are going to give them stuff. So it's a prime, prime location. Not only was this man lame from birth, but we're also told in the next chapter that he was in his 40s. So a really long time to be this way. This would have been an extremely, extremely humiliating existence. If you think about what that would be like, you can't walk anywhere. You rely on people to take you places. Um, He's there all day at the the gate with, you know, uh, no place to go to the bathroom. And I don't mean to be gross, but you just think about what this man's life was was like and, and how he would have been looked at by the people that came by him. People would have walked by and assumed that he was cursed by God, that God didn't like him at all that he had done something to deserve this. That's kind of the mindset. And if you think back to John chapter 9, if you remember the story of the man born blind from birth, this was the, this was the understanding of that, that too, that the, the disciples asked Jesus the erroneous question, who did this? Was it this guy that sinned or was it his parents that he was born this way? And Jesus' answer is good. He said, neither one. You guys are wrong on both accounts. He was born this way so that the works of God could be displayed in him. And I believe that the same could be said for this man, because we're about to see the works of God be displayed in him mightily to the tune of 5,000 souls being saved. That's pretty good, right? So in verse 3, it says, Seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, he asked to receive alms. And Peter directed his gaze at him, as did John, and said, Look at us. And he fixed his attention on them, expecting to receive something from them. Um, it would have been very normal for the, for the guy at, you know, the, the, the lame man to call out to people going in, kind of anonymously, probably, you know, you don't really want to, to look at him too closely. You just kind of want to, you know, get their attention, kind of like the guy ringing the bell at the Fred Meyer, you know, or whatever. It's like, you don't, you want to lock on too quickly, you know, but kind of let them know you're there. And so that probably wasn't unusual. What was, though, is for somebody to stop and, and, and lock eyes on the guy and say, look at us. Because I don't think this guy was treated as human very often. I don't think he was treated as somebody like that. He was treated as less than human. And so for Peter and John to stop and say, look at us, it would have humanized this guy in a way that he wasn't used to. I don't know if you're like me or weird like me, probably. Some of you won't admit it if you are, but when I see a homeless person on the street corner, I, you know, I become very distracted with the traffic and I try to be very, you know, okay, I got to look somewhere else and I'm trying not to make eye contact, but you don't want to not make, you know, you want to make a little because you don't want to seem like you don't care, but you don't want to make too much. So, you you know, I'm staring at the traffic and I'll kind of give him a quick little head nod to make myself feel better, but I don't want to lock on, you know, and these guys locked on, which is good. It would have made this man kind of take note that these guys are a little different. I want to point out that Christians should value all life, all people. Among you know everybody that's out there in the world right now, we should do this the most. And I, and I don't see that. I, social media depicts things a very different way today in the way that people look at each other and treat people and view people. If your version of Christianity excludes exclude certain types of people, it doesn't match up with what our Bible teaches us and what our Lord modeled for us. This church is filled with... Certain types of people, quite frankly, that didn't deserve grace from God, and yet we have it. And so we need to remember that as we go out into the world and and deal with people. This man here assumed that he was going to receive money from Peter, but Peter says to him, I don't have any silver or gold, but what I do have, I give to you. And I don't want to go too far down a side trail on this thing, but I do want to point out that these faithful men of God, capital A apostles, were short on cash, apparently, right? Right? They didn't have any folding money, as I like to call it. Folding money is the greatest thing in the world. When you open your wallet and you got a little folding money in there, that's a good day. They didn't have anything to give, is what they said, as far as silver and gold went. And, and I just, you know, there's this gospel out there that, that teaches us that God only wants us to always be healthy, wealthy, and happy. And they seem to all have a lot of silver and gold. I've noticed that. And, and I want to point out that these guys are men of God, and their lives probably didn't look great most of the time. Most of these guys would die a horrible death for their faith in Christ. But what they did have was so much better than silver and gold and health and wealth and all these things that are promised. They had Christ. And Christ is the real prize. And, and so he's, he's offering this guy something that is better than anything money can buy. He introduces him to Jesus Christ, which is phenomenal. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up, and walk. And he took him by the right hand. I I can't can't imagine the faith that Peter had at this point because I'm just picturing this going really wrong. You know, you grab this guy's hand and it's just like, you know, yeah. (laughs) Peter thought this guy was going to stand up. When you grab somebody that's been lame for 40 years by the hand and pick him up, you assume something's going to happen. And that's faith. It says he took him by the right hand and raised him up and immediately his feet and ankles were made strong and leaping up. He stood up and began to walk entering the temple with him walking and leaping and praising God. This is just crazy miraculous. Never used his legs or feet. And immediately all the atrophy, all the, you know, was gone. It wasn't like, you know, I try to, you picture like a calf, a newborn calf kind of, you know, wobbling, falling down a few times. That's not what we, you know, he didn't have to get his, his legs under him. He just was going. He was up and moving and jumping around. Fully functional feet and legs. And he heads straight into the temple. I like this because a man with a disability would have never been into the temple before. This would have been his first time. He wouldn't have been allowed in there in his condition. And that's where he wants to go first. And verse 9 says, All the people saw him walking and praising God, and they recognized him as the one who had sat at the beautiful gate of the temple asking for alms. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. Isaiah 35 is happening in front of these people. If you go and read, I'm not going to read the whole chapter, but Isaiah 35 speaks of a time when Messiah comes and everything changes. And one of the things that it says happens, it says that the the glory of the Lord and the majesty of God shall be seen among them. And one of the things is that the lame man shall leap like a deer. And they wouldn't have missed that. That would have been a very familiar passage of Scripture to them. And they're watching this guy that had been lame as long as they can remember now just bouncing around this place just like a deer would. They shouldn't have been any mistake about who was responsible for this miracle. Of course, as we're all prone to do, they uh, want to make Peter and John the heroes of this story. They they, they want it to point to, to men and to exalt men. Um, one commentator pointed out, and it's kind of funny, that the apostles uh, were accused of being drunk and divine in the same week. I'm like, that sounds about like the right the right thing for church leaders to experience, I think. You get a little bit of both. You're the best. You're the worst. In the same week, I can relate to that sometimes. Acts uh the, the verses 11 through 16, we're actually going to get into more next time, but, but it goes on to say that while the, the layman, while he clung to Peter and John, all the people utterly astounded ran together to them in the portico called Solomon's. And when Peter saw it, he addressed the people, men of Israel, why do you wonder at this? Or why do you stare at us as though by our own power or piety, we have made him walk? Peter gives credit where credit's due. He says, don't, don't look to us, don't point at us, and he points towards Christ, And in verse 13, he says, "...the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob, the God of our fathers, glorified his servant Jesus, whom you delivered over and denied in the presence of Pilate when he had decided to release him. But you denied the Holy and Righteous One." Those are terms for Messiah. "...and you killed the author of life, whom God raised from the dead. To this we are all witnesses. And in his name, by faith in his name, he made this man strong, whom you see and know." And the faith that is through Jesus has given the man the perfect health in the presence of you all um, I'm not going to we're going to get into Peter's sermon more next week. Uh, Peter talks about this faith and, and I want to just point out right now that I believe the faith that it's referring to right now is Peter and John's faith, not the lame man's faith, and that'll become important in a second but but I believe that's what is, is clear here that, that guy didn't expect anything to happen at that point. Peter and John did. I love, though, that at a time when Peter and John could have easily taken some of the glory for themselves, gotten a little adoration from the people, you know, they've been kind of made fun of for quite a few years by following Jesus, and now they're kind of rock stars. Would have been very easy to say, you know, I'll take a little of that, and they don't. They immediately deflect that to where it rightly belongs. No, you don't praise us, we don't receive glory, He does. Jesus does. And I hope that that's something that will be said about us as pastors for 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 years to come. I hope that we never get to that point where where we, you know, take any of that for ourselves, but that we always point it back to who it rightly belongs to um, Christ. Okay, before I cry, I'm going to shift gears a bit and we're going to take a little time to talk about healing because healing is something that is still a, a big subject in the church today Um, with some misunderstandings, and and I think uh, it comes up a lot. So we're going to attempt to answer four questions in regards to healing this morning. first one is, does God still heal today? The second one is, should we expect him to heal? The third one is, what if he doesn't heal? And the fourth one is, what is the purpose of healing? So briefly, we're going to look at these. Uh, Does God still heal today? Absolutely. (laughs) We see it. We see it over and over again. Now, maybe not on the scale of what we see in the lame man with Peter coming up and doing this. Um, You know, I I hear people tell stories of things that are crazy, miraculous, and, and, and I'm not saying they can't happen. Maybe they do. But normally what we see more often is God healing sometimes through ordinary means like doctors and medicines, where we pray for somebody here in the church and they come back and say, you won't believe this. You know, sometimes it's not ordinary means. Sometimes it's stuff that can't be explained by science. You know, the doctor comes back and says, you know what? It was there last week and this week is gone. And I don't know what to say other than it looks like a miracle, right? We see those things since the eight years we've been in a church. We haven't seen anybody lame from birth, leaping around like a deer, but we've seen some crazy stuff happen. And, And it's just amazing to see the power of God. That's one of the reasons we do the sharing time. If you're new here and have wondered, why are they doing this? It's an opportunity for us to pray for each other and see the power of God in our midst. And I love seeing the crazy stuff he does. Week to week, if we were to write this down, I mean, somebody should probably have done that, but we haven't. Just logged all the stuff that he's done in the eight years we've been to church, or almost eight years. It would be astounding. I mean, you'd you'd probably have quite a quite a ledger of things going. So, um, yes, he does heal today, and 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 so that that part is a pretty easy answer. The next question is, should we expect him to heal? And I would answer that yes and no, and I'll explain why. Our God is able to do anything. He is absolutely able to do anything. So we can pray with an expectancy that anything we ask is possible. I believe that with all my heart. I believe that anything we ask God is able to do. He's proven so so many times his power and his authority. And so I know that to be true, but we also need to accept that God's ways are not our ways. And and, and our mind and his mind aren't always the same. And there are times when he chooses not to heal. We hang out with some pastors that we don't always align with theologically. Um, and recently we were at a meeting where a couple of the pastors asked for prayer for a couple of medical things that were going on, either in themselves or in the family members. And it's always interesting to hear the way they pray there. And, and sometimes we hear it here too. Um, they're very well-intentioned prayers, but the underlying assumption is that God is obligated to heal because they are praying in faith and because, they are, um, because God is good. And so, so you'll hear this kind of almost a, and it is a prayer of faith, but it's, it's almost like this authoritative thing. Like they, I don't know, I, maybe I'm saying this wrong if I'm, I'm sorry, but it, I sometimes feel like they feel like they've kind of got God's arm behind his back a little bit. Like we're praying the right way and you're good. So this better happen. And, and I always feel uncomfortable when I, when I hear that, because to me, faith, isn't just believing really hard or the power of positive thinking. Faith is trust. And I just heard David pray for Paul, and I heard him say it was perfect. God, we want this to be. We want. We want to pray for healing right now, but ultimately we trust you. And and I think that that's that's the way we're we're called to pray. And I I think we see this very clearly in our Lord and Savior Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane when he prayed what he wanted to God. He asked God very clearly, God, this is what I would like to see happen, but not my will, your will be done. That's a prayer of faith. That's a prayer of trust. I know you. I know you can do anything, God but I want your will to be done. He trusted that God's plan was perfect. And he understood that he had a purpose in what he was allowing Jesus to go through. The apostle Paul comes to mind as well. This is a man who healed many, many, many people. And yet Paul had a thorn in his flesh that he wanted gone. And he asked God repeatedly to remove it. And we're not told what it was. I'm kind of glad we don't know what it is cause, because you can, you can kind of, you know, apply it maybe to your own life. There are things in our lives that we don't want there anymore at all. Just about any time any discomfort comes my way, I'm saying, Lord, get this out of my life, you know, beam me up, make this go away now. That's what I, that's my default position. Get rid of this, Lord. I don't want this in my life every time. But you know what? It's possible that what we may see as a thorn in the flesh, God might see as exactly what we need. Do you know that? It's not because he's cruel. It's because he is good. It's because he has a purpose. And what he told Paul is there's a purpose for this, Paul there's a reason this is here. And in false instance, it was, it says to keep him from being conceited. And I'm thinking if you're Paul and you're doing all this stuff, I don't know, you could start to get kind of a big head. But he said, even though I'm going to leave this here, my grace, I'm not going to take away from you. I'm going to give you the grace that you need to sustain you through it. So you'll be able to, to deal with it. And not only that, but in this weakness that you have, my strength is going to be made perfect. Because you're in this position, because you have this ailment, because this thing I'm not taking away, I will, I will, my strength's going to blow through you like you wouldn't believe because of it. So he had a purpose in it. It's okay for us to ask God to change our circumstances, but learn to trust your father to do what's best, right? If you've raised kids, you know that the decisions you make in their lives, most of the time they don't like and they don't agree with. And they would say you're a bad parent and they would call you names and they would say, you know, you know what it's like. I'm just imagining what this would be like. <laughs> But as a good parent, you know, you know sometimes what they need and what's best. And so even though they don't understand it, you know, we can look to our father in that regard, knowing that he is truly good in that regard for us. The truth is we don't know what God's up to. Sometimes he chooses to heal. Sometimes he doesn't. When he does choose to heal, it's a great act of mercy. You know, be thankful for it when it happens. When he doesn't, don't read too much into it. And it's also important to point out that God operates on his own timetable and not ours. I couldn't help but think that if this guy's being laid to the temple every day for 40 years, in the three years that Jesus was in his ministry, he went to the temple every day. you think there's a chance he saw this guy? You think there's a chance for three years he walked by this guy and did nothing? And yet, he had it on his calendar. Peter and John are going to do something, you know, three years from now. and 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 so we don't know what God's up to. Sometimes the trials and the, the infirmities in our life only last for a season, praise God. Sometimes they don't. Sometimes they, they continue on. Trust your Father. Okay, what if He doesn't heal is the next question. And this becomes a especially difficult question for those who believe that if we have enough faith, God will heal. Because at the end of the day, they're left to conclude the reason God didn't heal was because of the quality of their faith. They didn't have enough. It wasn't good enough. It was, you know, they had sin in their lives. Those are the kinds of things we hear. And again, that's why I point out how much faith did did the lame man exercise? I didn't see any there necessarily. And so there's this thought out there that if God heals one person and doesn't heal another, it's because they have more faith or God loves them more or they give more money or they're more righteous and holy, right? Or they deserve it more. And I want to just point out that we're on a level playing field, as sinners. Right? The faith we have, the righteousness we have, the Bible says those are gifts from God. Um, the deserving part, nobody deserves it. Right? We know what we deserve, if we're being honest. So anything that God gives us in regards to healing or blessing is all, you know, undeserved. It's all, it's all grace. It's all mercy. So we need to stop making people feel defective when God chooses not to heal them. I've seen. I've seen people's lives wrecked by this. Where oh the reason this happened was because you know don't try to figure out why God healed or God it's not our you don't sit in a place of judgment to decide well this is why he did this and this is why he did that you don't know the mind of God and so stop making people feel defective when they're not when they're not healed or when they are healed um, making them feel like they're you know special in that regard. The last one I'm going to ask is what is the purpose of healing? And the short answer to this question is of course. The glory of God, you know, it it just glorifies and magnifies who our God is. It glorifies and magnifies his power, his majesty, all those things. So so that's the short answer. But Tim Keller helps expand on this idea by pointing out that the healing of the lame man in Acts 3 points in four directions. It points upward, forward, inward, and he says downward, but I like outward better. So I hate to go against Keller, but I'm going outward instead of downward on this one because I like it. So upward is the first one. Miracles point upward to God. They validate God's authority. They validate the authority of the messengers, and they validate the authority of the message. And we see this clearly here with Peter and John. There should be no question about who showed up at the temple that day. It should point straight up to God, and everybody should see that clearly. And in this case, this healing that Peter and John were able to do by faith in Christ uh, saw 5,000 people, like I said, come to know the Lord. That's pointing upward. That's great. Miracles should never point manward. And that's not a word I know because it underlined it in red when I typed it out. So, so I put a hyphen in there and then it went away and I felt good about myself again. <laughs> Miracles should never point manward. Um, there's a whole slew of faith healers out there uh, stealing money from people, robbing them blind, and and claiming that they're doing these things in the name of Jesus Christ, and it's disgusting to me that they exist and that they're doing this because it's clear that they want to make a name for themselves. They want to get rich. They want to get famous. Anybody that's doing these things and it's pointing back to them, run away from that. That is not what we see happening here. Peter and John had the opportunity to do it, and they said, no, I'm going to deflect that back to Christ. So, Miracles should point people to Jesus. They should proclaim the gospel so that people can be saved, which is really the greater miracle. Uh, miracles should also, or healing should also point forward. Uh, this thing points forward to a time where God will heal and restore all things. And I really like this because we we tend to think of healing as normal. Like this should always be the case. This should always happen. But really they're just a preview of coming attractions. If you think of them more that way, it helps. I know that when God created... He created everything good, there was no need for healing there. What wrecked this system was us. It was our sin that fractured the whole thing, right So you can look at the beginning of the story and see god 's perfect will, and guess what? You can look at the end of the story and you 'll see it again. Do you see any need for healing in the, in, in his kingdom? <laughs> no, not at all. You know why? Because sin is gone, death is gone, pain is gone, all of it 's dealt with, all of it 's put right. There's going to come a time where Jesus restores all of these things and it will be put right for those who trust Him as their Lord and Savior. That will be their new normal. And I look forward to that. The miracle of healing not only points upward and forward, but it, it should point inward. Because it points to a bigger problem that exists in all people. And that's for, our, for the need for our souls to be healed. In our physical brokenness, really pales in comparison to our spiritual brokenness. And yet we, we tend to be consumed by physical healing all the time. That's kind of the, because we can feel it more or whatever it is, we, we tend to focus more on the physical healing stuff. Imagine if we spend as much time on our spiritual health and well-being as we do our physical health. And you're probably looking at me and going, you don't look like you spend a lot of time on your physical health, Pastor Brent. And out to that, I would say, touche. <laughs> but what I mean what I mean by that is is like when my back hurts, I find a way to try to relieve that pain. And when my tooth hurts or when something's growing where it shouldn't be growing or whatever it happens to be, you go in and get checked out and you find out what needs to happen for your physical health. Right? And we don't we don't focus that way on our spiritual health like we should. We've convinced ourselves somehow that if we satisfy all of the physical stuff, that our soul will be satisfied. It's true. But the truth is, when our soul is truly satisfied in God alone, the physical stuff doesn't matter that much. Have you noticed that? When, you, when you're experiencing just our Lord and Savior in that worshipful way, that other stuff just kind of falls away. I just saw it in my brother Paul earlier. Praising God for the time he got to spend with his mom. He doesn't have the energy to put his shoes on right now. And he's praising God for the sweet time when he and his mom got to sing some hymns together. Right? Physical stuff went away. And all I could see was the glory of the Lord. That's cool. Spiritual health is much more important and should be our priority. And I can't help but think that this man had probably convinced himself that if only I could walk, if only I could walk, then I would truly be happy. And and to be sure, this guy was pretty happy, right? For a time, this changed everything. So, of course, he was happy. But I know people that have walked their whole life, and they ain't that happy. right so so walking doesn't equal happiness is my point and we do this all the time we find these little if onlys right if only i had more money i'd be happy if only i had a better job if only a better car if only i was married if only i had a different spouse sadly we do these kinds of things all the time all of these if onlys they're like mirages that a man who's dying of thirst sees in a desert that's what the if onlys are like right You get there and it's like, well, that that didn't do anything. And then you see another one. Oh, I've got to go that way. Christ is the only one who can quench our thirst, satisfy our hunger, and rescue us from our condition. Now, the last direction that miracles should propel us is outward or downward, if you like. Miracles should cause people to testify of God's power and give Him the praise that is due His name. And we see that the healed man immediately and enthusiastically headed into the temple so that everybody could see what took place. He wanted everybody to know what God had done in his life that day. And verse 10 says that the people recognized him and were filled with wonder and amazement at what happened to him. I love that, that idea. And I couldn't help but think that people should see this in us too. If your souls have been healed, people, they should, and it should be a drastic kind of a thing that people see. And I know for my own conversion, it was that way. I don't, not everybody's is this way, but but I went, it was like one of those just overnight black and white kind of, wow, what, what happened to that guy kind of things. As a matter of fact, the night that I finally fell on my knees and prayed and asked Christ to be my Lord and Savior, I went home that night. I was still 19 years old living at home, don't judge me, in my parents' basement. But they were in the basement that night watching TV like they always did, probably watching Cheers because, you know, that was on back then. And I remember walking into the basement, and I usually just kind of grunted at my parents and then walked in my room because I didn't want to interact with them because of the state that I was probably in. And that night, I kind of walked in there, and I said hi to them. And they looked at me, and it was pretty funny. They said, are you on drugs? (laughs) Which is ironic because that particular night, I wasn't. And every other night for the last several years, I was. And so they, they saw something drastic and different. And I remember that same thing. And I know this isn't true for everybody. I used to tell people, this is what you'll experience. You know, you'll be shaken in the room, but it won't be cold. And I stood up and there was a mirror across from me and my eyes looked different. I remember looking at myself and thinking, you're a new creature. This is drastic. You've been healed, you know. And and, and the point is you may not see these physical things, but if God has entered your life, something miraculous has happened. Something drastic has happened and it should be noticeable to the people around you. Praise God. I mean, we should be leaping and praising God everywhere we go. That's what I couldn't help but think about this week. I think how many times do I just get so so down and so much in a rut and I focus on the problem that's right in front of my face and I focus on the wrong things when we should be just like this man appreciating everything that he's done for us. If you're a Christian today, Jesus Christ took your place on the cross. He suffered and died in your place so that you could have life. And what are we doing with that? You know, start leaping and praising God everywhere you go. Start start enjoying him. The the catechism, the Westminster Catechism says the chief I'm way off my notes. The chief end of man, the the chief and highest end of man is to glorify God and to fully enjoy him forever. As a Christian, you can fully enjoy God. You know, John Piper got in trouble for saying that we could be Christian hedonists. That sounds really bad, but but it's like we can go crazy with this. We can really enjoy our God and what he's done for us. And I hope that, you know, that's kind of more your mindset as we go through life. Sometimes we need to take a step back from what we're looking at, you know, and get a big picture kind of a scope of things. Think about who you are. Think about where you live, Think about what life is like for us here. You know, maybe compare it to a guy who's been lame for 40 years or a Christian right now who's hunkered down in a cave with a little scrap of Bible, afraid for his life. If somebody finds out he's a follower of Christ, you know, we have it pretty good and we have an opportunity to let other people know. So so this should really fly outward when these miracles happen. Okay. Here at the door, I, I, I really, we want this place to be known as a place where crazy, wonderful, miraculous things happen. But maybe not so much physically as, as much as spiritually. I hope this is a place that is known for healing, but, but but spiritual healing more so than the... If the other stuff happens and it authenticates a message and it and it points people to Christ, great. But I want this community to know this is a place where broken people can come and they can find health. They can find healing and wholeness. They can find Jesus Christ here. And I hope that that becomes more and more what this place is known for. We try to open our doors up to get more and more people in here as much as we can. And that's the reason. Ultimately, um, we want this church to be all about the person and work of Christ so that anybody that comes in here will hear the gospel and have a chance to be healed. If you're like me, when you read a story like this, um, you try to identify with somebody in it a little bit. And, and of course, I want to identify with Peter and John. I'm like, these guys are awesome. Look at them go, man. They're, you know, they're, they're walking in with authority and faith and they're like grabbing guys by the hands and picking them up and they're leaping around. And I'm thinking, that's who I want to be like. I want to be used mightily of God. That's who I want to identify with. And then I step back and think, you know, there's probably somebody in the story that represents me a little bit better than those guys do. And as I thought about this, I am the lame beggar. That's me. I'm the guy who, apart from Christ, was helpless and hopeless and had no chance of any kind of life. And yet Jesus sought me. Jesus sought me when a stranger, it's a great song, he found me. He said, look at me, look at me. It's amazing to me that, that, you know, I mean, why would you want to interact with a lame beggar? Why would you want to pay any attention to that guy? And I think about that. Lord, why would you want anything to do with somebody like me? And yet he did. And he offered me healing and he offered me wholeness. And uh there's there's nobody in this room that he won't do that for if you come in faith and and ask him to enter your life and, and just wreck you. Jesus is what we need. It's not silver or gold or anything else you can imagine. We need a savior. 1 Peter 2.24 says, He Himself bore our sins in His body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By His wounds you have been healed. Our healing came through Christ's suffering. And that's what the table represents. is His body being broken and His blood being shed so that lame people... Sorry. But lame people could have healing and life. And I am the chief of the lame. I'll admit that. So... This table is set for believers. If you know Christ as your Lord and Savior, remember what He's done for you. Enjoy what He's done for you. It's okay if you, you know, don't get crazy, but if you want to leap up here this morning to the communion table, that's okay. We can enthusiastically appreciate all that God has done for us and then hopefully take it outward into the world around us that needs it desperately. So, Father, thank you so much for this uh, account of a layman healed. And Lord... We know that spiritually speaking, um, we all have the same issue. We're all broken before you. We're all alienated from you because of our sin. Thank you so much for sending Jesus Christ to the cross on our behalf. We thank you that he lived the life we could never live, and he died in our place, a death that, that we deserve to die, and yet he allowed his body and blood instead of our own. Thank you so much for his resurrection from the dead, Lord. The fact that he came back to life means that sin and death has been conquered. It means that we do have a future hope where we know that all things will finally be put right. And Lord, we just look forward to all that you're doing in our church, in our midst. Lord, may this be a place where people know they can come and and receive healing. But, But the most important kind of healing, Lord, spiritual healing. We ask that in Christ's name. Amen.